Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 live from northern california it's lifeline with jesse gastan he's the host of way of grace a pastor and a community leader he's a teacher and an inspiration he's lifeline's own jesse gastan And I want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline. It's raining out there, so you guys want to be very careful on the roads as you are making your way home. We all know that uh, when the roads are slippery with rain, we can make some bad decisions. I don't want you to do that. So be very careful out there as you are driving. But I'm glad to have you with us on this Monday edition of Lifeline. It is May 11th, 2020. Happens to be 5.05 p.m. And if you want to call and chat, the number is 1-888-367-5329. 1-888-367-5329. I trust that you had a great uh, great weekend. The weather was superb. And uh, we had great worship. Um, speaking of worship, everywhere in the world, we are all challenged with a more... Um, Virtual worship, as you guys know, uh, live streaming and uh, and people, uh, you know, having to having to view ministry from a distance through the medium of technology. And I I hope you guys are engaging and I hope you're not kind of just drifting into a kind of um, separation from what is very important in your calling and in your identity as a people of God. Worship is critical even more so at this time of crisis. Um, Can you imagine under the present circumstances with the social distancing that we have been mandated to engage in, uh, having no form of communication whatsoever, and then being obligated to either do worship in your home with your family, and if you don't have a family, you're by yourself. And... uh, So, yeah, we need to be extremely thankful, grateful, and also enthusiastically committed to uh, technology, the ability to do what we're doing right now, talking from a distance uh, telepathically through through this format. And I'm glad to be with you again. Um, I had a very salient question raised uh, a couple days ago to me, which uh, which which question really believers have frequently throughout history found themselves troubled with. Um, and that happens to be how do we how do we take what's going on? How do we how do we understand it? How do we filter it? How do we uh, respond to the 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 implications of a radical change in our governmental policies and our social policies? And kind of what has been raised is what's going on. That really is the question. What is going on? I was just reading an article by Joe Carter on the susceptibility of Christians to be uh, 
hoodwinked, if you will, by conspiracies, and he was really laboring to uh, encourage the church not to collapse into or fall prey to baseless notions about what's going on. He did a pretty good job, if you ask me, about the importance of making sure that we can really justify our suspicions and make sure that we, if, if we're sharing them, that we have concrete information about that. I think we've talked about that like a thousand times on this program to make sure that your data around what you are hearing concerning anything, particularly the big issues of world government, global uh, markets, global economy, G20, uh, uh, goals 2000, um, uh, the, you know, the money barons of the world and, and how they plan on shaping and, um, and changing our world. A lot of information about that. It, it can be found online, but as you know, online can be a very, very volatile place to go for your uh, information source. So you do want to be careful about that. On the other hand, uh, history is filled with all sorts of evidence. I'm speaking not like ancient history, but present history. History is filled with all kinds of evidence that our governments do lie. And so we don't want to swing to the extreme of being so gullible that, um, that we take verbatim that everything that they're saying is true. And History also is very clear and evident about the fact that um, our governments do conspire against its own citizens uh, relative to its goals and plans and purposes. So we don't want to, we don't want to act like, uh, we do not want to act like we don't know history. We don't want to be uh, anachronistic. We don't want to fail to understand that history has laid out uh, the need to have a healthy suspicion of our government and our leaders and their policies and the media, but also to make sure that we have a healthy uh, understanding of what it means to uh, prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. Nevertheless, the question uh, that's given to me is what's going on? Uh, wh what's taking place in our nation uh, and around the world that we need to be very careful about? Well, there, you know, there are a number of ways to look at that. There's a number of ways to kind of approach this. I know for me, for almost all of my adult life, what I do is I kind of just stand back and really try to take in all the data that I think is reputable and then make a synoptic uh, interpretation of what I think are plausible uh, allegations, plausible factors about where we are. No, I can't always prove them or, um, you know, uh, furnish the evidence to, to justify my suspicions or my assumptions. But, you know, we are still free to share them. We're free to talk about our opinions, free to give our views. And, uh, and it's just a view or an opinion. That's all totally good. Uh, what we don't want to do is start jumping on a bandwagon with a bunch of people and, and going around with pitchforks and, uh, you know, uh, torches uh, starting to, uh, you know, riot and, and uh, do all kinds of boycotting uh, in the name of having absolute facts and knowing the issues to the point that we want to try to turn over the government. Nevertheless, some of the questions that have been raised are really, really good. And uh, for me, what what has been benefiting me lately around what's happening with us and the uh, uh, coronavirus is history. 
my research right now presently is around our studies in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you guys are listening to that on the weekday program, I don't know where we are, where we are, because I'm not listening. But if you are listening, what you will hear me doing as I try to explain those very complex terms and phrases and, and address some of the symbolism and typology and, and metaphors in the book of the Revelation, that's the genre of that book. It requires you to understand symbolism and typology. What you will hear me do is anchor a lot of those passages in the Old Testament because the Old Testament is really the source book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And anyone that's going to give you a fair interpretation of the book of Revelation has to do a lot of cross-referencing with the book of Daniel, with the book of Isaiah, with the book of Zechariah, and with several of the minor prophets, Nahum, Zephaniah, and Joel. If they don't, they are not actually exegeting or explaining the book of the Revelation to you carefully. They're simply imposing a, a sort of paradigm on the book, which is what most of our teachers do. They take the book and frame it in terms of an eschatological uh, viewpoint. That's pretty much what's going on these days, kind of just walking you through how their eschatology uh, shapes the book of Revelation. And that sounds good, but it's not as careful as an exposition of each text of Scripture relative to what the Bible has already said. In other words, history becomes important as a guide for interpreting the present, as well as the future. And that's what I'm doing with my congregation. And on average, about a thousand people that's watching the program uh, every time we teach. And, and the relative point is this, is that a lot of what you and I are going through now can only be interpreted consistently through the lens of history. We got to know how to uh, do the research and say, have we been here before? Have we experienced things like this before? Of course, we've already talked about Spanish flu, influenza. We've already talked about Black Plague. We've talked about a number of plagues that have uh, been uh, historically established in our world as patterns leading up to now. But I'm also talking recent history. Um, for instance, uh, I had a chance to watch a film recently called um, Contagion. And some of you guys might know that film. It's an old film, but in a dialogue with my wife around these very issues that we're dealing with, um, decided to kind of go back and look at it. And lo and behold, if you watch that film, it's not expensive. You are basically looking at the present from the past. That film is 10 years old. And uh, all of the conversation that we're having today and the situation that we're in was all represented in that movie, Contagion. You can find it. And if you if you look it up, it gives you a sense of, okay, if they had that much clarity on pandemic and they had that much information and they could create a, 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 a dramatic, uh, intensified storyline around some of the critical players, government, the medical industry, politics, people on the ground, people in the medical field, and then, you know, close-up scenarios like we're dealing with in terms of the coronavirus killing people. I mean, the, the program, the movie, uh, Contagion, was almost a mirror image of what we're dealing with today, with the exception that in the movie 10 years ago, uh, the movie had people dying 
uh, you know, every three days. And uh, the expectation was people dying up into the millions. And if you guys recall, that is what we were hearing from uh, President Trump early on about the expectation of hundreds of thousands and millions of people dying. Now, having said that, it's still very possible for us to have, you know, millions of people die around this uh, COVID virus simply because uh, we haven't actually gone into but three months of it. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the statistics again, and just in uh, in America alone, we're moving towards uh, 90,000 people being killed, uh, dying from the uh, from the virus over a three-month period. You multiply that time four within the course of a year, and we are well into 250, 300,000 people dying of the coronavirus at the present rate um, uh, in America, let alone combining the UK and combining Italy and combining France, which is also being devastated. But I'll tell you what I'm thinking in terms of this. Out of all the nations of the world at present, the one nation that's getting hit worse than anybody else in terms of just numbers per capita is America. Now, that bothers me. Because we're the, one of the greatest nations in the world with most of the technology and most of uh, the advanced resources and equipment. And we can't stave off being the leading nation by, uh, by uh, let's see here, by over 100%. The other nation that is close to us is at 32,000. That's the UK. Uh, we are at 81,000 moving quickly every day. That means that um, either we somehow had absolutely no idea what we were facing, even though the facts and the data, you guys have heard it, uh, the facts and the data, Mr. Fauci, he happens to be the head of the CDC uh, and, and Mr. Uh, Trump's uh, uh, main spokesman around the pandemic, he talked about this in the uh in the, uh, in the Obama administration, that a pandemic would come. So it's not like we didn't know it was coming. It didn't, it's not like we didn't have understanding. Like I said, the movie lays it out clearly. The issue will be, um, what is our policy for real about this stuff? What, what really are the goals of government around something that seems to be utterly unavoidable, and that is diseases and pandemics? It, it's like we anticipate them, we're preparing for them, and we are uh, engaging them with different methodologies. Again, that movie laid out all of the same present-day strategies, social distancing, shelter for cover, stay in the house, when you go out, wear masks and gloves, and all that same thing. Watch it if you haven't. Eerie. But the point is, is you know, um, do we have a right to really think through if there are economic factors behind this? Absolutely. Do we have a right to think through whether or not there are uh, less than biblical or godly ethical uh, frameworks being employed on this? Absolutely. Do we have a right to be concerned about our government uh, while on the one hand doing what it can to survive because it's just that's what you have to do, but also understanding somewhat of a um, 
a, a, a larger, larger what we would call a, a, a dialectical principle that in, in the midst of crisis comes opportunity. That that principle is is a sort of a, a universal communistic uh, framework, and it is something that uh, many of our presidents have talked about uh, throughout history. Uh, prominently. I remember uh, George Bush Sr. saying this uh, during the time when we were uh, on the brink of a war with, uh, with, with Russia as well as with Iraq, that um, we want to take advantage of a crisis, and, and a crisis is, is an opportunity for a new world order. So while on the one hand, Joe Carter is right, we want to be careful not to be operating out of a gra- groundless basis for conspiracy. On the other hand, Joe Carter has to also know that we have a history of being betrayed and troubled by our leaders saying things that support conspiratorial frameworks and paradigms and then practicing patterns that support that kind of indication too. So we don't want to go to sleep on the reality that uh, Americans have been guinea pigs in the hands of our government time and time again around these matters, and so we just want to be prudent. We want to be we want to be wise. We want to be prayerful and hopeful, but don't close your eyes. The Bible's fundamentally clear that the heart of man is desperately wicked above all things who can know it, and that all men are liars, and only God is true. And when we take God's word into the equation of human nature, what we understand is. All the labor men is for his belly. He will indeed use human beings for collateral damage in order to achieve his goals. And this is why we must know that Christ is on his throne, that he rules the nations, that he turns the hearts of the king whichever way he wants to. And therefore, we can always pray for an abatement of wicked schemes that would dishonor God and also harm God's people, as well as the world. Now, there's a whole lot more to talk about, but i got to take a break. The number is one 367 one If you want to call in and start chatting with me and uh, you got some ideas or some questions about what have you, let's do it. It's raining. It's beautiful. we got a roof over our head. Nothing to do. Uh, so give me a call, one 367 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we are back. The time 531 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. 188-367-5329. If you want to chime in, the Bible says in Psalm 125, they that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth and forever. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts, as for such as turn aside Unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity, but peace shall be upon the Israel of God. Psalm 125 is kind of a marching order for us not to fear, but to walk in a faith that God has a plan in the midst of all this. Uh, and he does. He has a plan. The issue is, do we, do we, do we see that plan? 
can you can you see what God is up to to some degree in terms of what's going on? You know, I mean, concretely, uh, uh, we've talked about it for several weeks now. The blessings that come out of a difficulty like this, uh, the the need to be able to prioritize our our walk with God and the importance of communion with Him even in these difficult times. And valuing family and friends and, and, and things that are important. And not taking for granted what we have and what we are. For instance, uh, the coronavirus is, as I stated, uh, really taking its toll on America in a lot of ways. And we can stay on that subject. But the fact of the matter is, is that at some point, if the uh, COVID-19 virus stays in Africa, Africa is going to actually excel in more devastation than we uh, presently have simply because of the poor resources that are there and the inability uh, for them to have the necessary infrastructure to, to deal with it. If, if it should turn into a pandif- pandemic in Africa, it's going to be extremely, extremely difficult for them to be able to handle it. So, what we really need to be doing is praying for the countries with less resources. And then what we also need to be doing is supporting them financially or what have you um, to make sure that our brothers and sisters in Christ in third world countries that are just economically devastated don't find themselves at the mercy of, of uh, at the hand of, of poverty. Uh, destroying their lives because they don't have ventilators, because they don't have, you know, doctors and nurses, because they don't have basic resources for hygienic uh, response to this. This is really a a very serious crisis of an issue, poverty. Um, And so we want to pray for them that that somehow they avoid this, because a number of our African countries are just kind of like uh, poo-pooing the virus. I was talking with a sister who is from Uganda, and she was plainly saying that a lot of her, her folks just disregard the notion as having no relevance in their society, and yet it's gradually creeping in over there as well. And so uh, it, we might be able to see a curve down here in America and then a curve up in those countries that are uh, most poverty-stricken. And, uh, and we need to be careful not to neglect those countries in our prayers and in our giving and in our resources. So I definitely want to encourage you along those lines. Again, if you want to chat with me on this topic or anything else, you can give me a call, one 367 5329 Every time we have, you know, a crisis, whether it's military whether it's economic or whether it's medical, uh, people react differently. I was, like I said, working, I'm working through the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, and I'm dealing with church history right now around the war, uh, the Jewish war of uh, AD 66 through 70, uh, addressing the historical context of Matthew 24 and the precise prophetic context. uh, uh, statements of our Lord Jesus Christ concerning the destruction of the temple and the scattering abroad into all the world, the Jewish people and the establishing of a gospel age. And when you look at what happened in the uh, period up to the Jewish war of 68, 69, uh, what you see are some fascinating things when it comes to their crisis. 
because what you had in Israel is like what we kind of have today. We have pacifist people who uh, understand what's going on, uh, that basically, um, you know, they're, they're open to the p- political issues. They're aware of the military, and they even see what's going on with the, uh, you know, uh, folks that are taking up arms and stuff like that. But your fa- pacifists, uh, they're going to just kind of take a sideline scenario, or they're going to, you know, side with the, with the team they think will bring the best outcome. A pacifist is not, you can't set a pacifist on fire real easy. Um, and pacifists, you know, at least they won't be guilty of crying fire in a uh, in a full room when there's no fire there. But then again, in that Jewish war uh, leading up to it, you had the religious elitists, uh, and they're very much kind of like our politicians today. They, uh, you know, there's a there was a fundamental compromise on the part of the Jewish elite. That is the uh, the uh, Sadducees and the uh, the scribes and the high priest. Uh, who benefited from uh, from the, the the conflict between Rome and its own citizens because they were in the pocket of the Roman Empire and the Roman Empire is very much like our our nations today. It was a dominating dominating nation, and so not only did you have the pacifists, you had the religious elites who uh, you know who were really only just. Uh, concerned about how they could make money or keep their positions in the midst of this crisis. Then you had the zealots. And the zealots are the kind of people that I keep my eye on because in America, we can have zealots everywhere. We can have people who rise up, take up arms, hold positions, and you can, you can see them. You saw them during the Obama administration. You saw a handful of them during the uh, Trump administration. Basically, the left zealots who were uh, antifadists, and then you had your right zealots who pretty much have been around since, since the beginning of the country, basically waiting to take the country back for uh, for the good old boys in the good old days. Uh, and then you have a lot of people just who are kind of a cross-section of both, because in our political structure, it's dialectic, is liberal and conservative. And you got moderates in the middle. But your zealots are always the people who are always ready for a crisis so they can break out the guns and, you know, uh, you know, thrive under martial law, protect their property, um, you know, and just go to war to take their country back. This is kind of what you saw a little bit going on in the movie Contagion, if you were to ever watch it, that uh, people took that opportunity at the crisis. Now, you guys know that's what goes on, uh, looting and pillaging and stealing and robbing. And we had a little bit of that in the earlier weeks of this COVID-19 pandemic. You guys know that. But for the most part, our nation up to now, as far as we can tell through the media, has done a stellar job of not collapsing into or falling into a kind of zealot mode of take our country back. Our, our government doesn't know what it's doing. Our politicians are, you know, off the chain. Well, that's, in my opinion, half true. But the other half is not true. Uh, and we have a lot of things in our favor that if we uh, if we remain vigilant and thoughtful, we can see how we are at an advantage. There was a fourth category in that pre-Jewish war up to the time when uh, Rome finally had to just utterly devastate Israel for its rebellion against <clears throat> the Roman state. Um, 
<clears throat> that fourth category were believers, Christians. And this is the point that I'm going to make today about the Christians who lived and existed between the tensions of the Roman Empire, their very hard-lined uh, military leaders, Vespasian and uh, the Roman Titus and, and uh, Nero and others that were, you know, uh, they could care less about people's whining and crying, crying. The, the believers in that era, and this is the message to you and I, who had to live with the zealots who were nationalists, who loved their country above everything, who had to live with the religious elite who were compromisers and, and, and uh, opportunists, and uh, some of that we have to deal with in, in the larger uh, ministry of, of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of the Christian gospel as well today. And then you have your pacifists. They, they're around. But the Christians were not known for being the ones provoking the state or provoking anyone to engage in any kind of inflammatory rhetoric or behavior. The Christians had learned from Christ and the Christians had learned from the apostles, particularly the Apostle Paul, about how to be in the world even when their country is in disarray, particularly the Christians who were Jewish, they saw Israel collapsing all around them as Jesus said it would. But they also saw Rome collapsing all around them as Daniel said it would. So when you see your own churches collapsing, your own state church, you know, uh, society collapsing because it's so carnal that it can't see tomorrow. And you see the uh, encroaching government as well collapsing. Well, what do you do? You do what you do, what Jesus says, you know, uh, make your moderation known unto all men that the Lord is at hand. You fear not. You walk in uh, the light of the Lord uh, and in his light, we shall see light. You walk in the principles of scripture. You don't walk in fear. You don't get trapped by rumors. You don't find yourself siding politically or socially with zealots whose only interest is nationalism and don't have a biblical worldview that is vertical in nature. The Christian believer has always had to live with uh, waiting until the last moment, until the beast just, you know, basically made it impossible for them, <clears throat> excuse me, for them to exist to have to defend themselves. And that's what you and I would want to do here as well. Even though, quite frankly, there's a lot going on in our country that's changing. When we think about it, our economy has been completely pummeled, 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 I'm sorry. It has be become completely depleted. When you've got 30 million people that are filing for unemployment, that means you actually have 50 to 70 million people who are unemployed because not everybody files who is unemployed. That's huge. That's huge. And then when you have the people who are allegedly employed only working a few hours a week whose income have been carved back as substantially as we know it, that's even much more of an ominous uh, if you will, harbinger of things to come because our economy is critical to our stability of life, socially, domestically, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. The facts are um, we are in a very precarious situation economically, and that's what I'm worried about. And here's the question that I'm going to put to you if you want to chat about it. Um, 
do you think that given you know where we are that there will be a, a return to normalcy that we have experienced over the last you know 10 years do you think we'll go back to not having wear having to wear masks uh, exercise social distancing be able to engage in the larger frolicking of uh, people uh, hanging out in close uh, proximity such as crowded auditoriums with sports events and entertainment and even church I mean is it possible in your mind that church won't be the same for years to come uh, if ever that's very possible uh, and, and if these things are thoughts in your mind let's talk about it one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine i'm going to take a break and then when i come back we'll continue our thoughts around uh the adjustment process the the, the long period of uh of change due to a pandemic this is the monday edition of lifeline your host jesse gisson and i'll be right back and now back to lifeline and we are back the time is 5:50 on the monday edition of lifeline this segment almost up if you want to call in one triple eight Three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you want to pick up on our topic or advance into something that you think is uh, more appropriate or relevant or needful for you, you can give me a call at one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. What we're doing is basically talking about the the great possibility, quite frankly, of a long term adjustment to. Um, a lifestyle that we're not used to, and that is a lifestyle of distancing ourselves from people, a lifestyle of covering up uh, perpetually, a lifestyle of hygienic uh, consciousness, uh, and a number of things that will just prove themselves to be abnormal uh, for us, but apparently are ostensibly necessary simply because we have this pandemic hanging over our head and we are living living with viruses uh, until we can find uh, a substantial um, uh, vaccine that will uh, mitigate the danger that is in front of us. But I don't know if you really are thinking this through, as am I. You probably are, but um, the, again, the economy is already, it was already fragile, quite, quite frankly. But it, to sustain this kind of limited workforce to sustain this kind of uh, just pitiful uh, economic uh, trickle when we need a, a flood of uh, financial resources and a flood of enterprise and a flood of working men and women, not just for the financial benefits, that is absolutely important, but just for the issue of dignity, for the issue of character, for the issue of optimism. Uh, and this is what I'll tell you this too before we go to the phone lines. I've got three lines open one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Don't, as I think as Hosea said it or Amos, Amos said it, don't, no, Jeremiah said it, don't wish for the evil day. Don't, don't, don't go just bring the evil day on. We don't want that. 
We don't want the evil day. You don't want the evil day for your loved ones, for your children, for your grandchildren, great-grandchildren. We don't want the evil day. We want to pray to avert it. If we can't avert it because we have sown to ourselves, uh, you know, iniquity and we're reaping the whirlwind of God's righteous judgment, so be it. But please know that you and I are going to be the weeping prophet of Jeremiah if we should have to face the onslaught of God's righteous judgment because of our rebellion as a nation. Uh, be, be sure of that. It's going to be painful. So I'm praying that we don't have to. But I am looking at the stats and I am seeing that in a moment, even if we do get some relative ease of the uh, pandemic, uh, the economy is just going to be devastated. And we're going to have 10 times more uh, people on the street, poor people, than we ever have before. And that in itself is going to shift the, uh, the, 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 uh, the leverage of government to citizenry in a way that is alarming for those of us who understand the need for the uh, citizens of America to have a kind of uh, freedom leverage to make sure that we can keep in check our government. If, in fact, we are at 60, 70, 80 percent of our American citizens in need of the welfare dole of our government, we are, in fact, slaves of the government. And that will, I don't, it doesn't matter what you say, that's going to change the dynamics of people's behavior. Socialism will have slipped in through the back door. And draconian laws and policies will have free access in the name of necessity. That changes who we are as a nation in terms of our identity. I hope you understand that. And that, that's going to require an adjustment, a significant adjustment. All right, again, the number is one 367 Let me go to line number one and talk with Sean from Redland. Sean, are you there? I'm here, Pastor Jesse. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you How are you guys doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. Great. Great. No, uh, yeah. no, no direct implications uh, impacting your family? Uh, no, we've kind of, uh, thankfully, we've been able to, kind of flow flow through it as far as financially and health okay. guys. We've been okay. we've been doing pretty good. Um, we did have one hiccup but it would have came up either way. We had our car go one of our cars go and um, it was amazing the Lord took care of us. He gave us we got that stimulus money and we were like, well we can just kinda save it or you know, we didn't know exactly what to do with it because we're kinda sure. in the same spot we've been. Sure. But a week or two after we got that money, my car went out, and I had to spend almost three thousand dollars on my car. So yep, yep. Went that money, but we were thankful, yep. thankful that yep. we even had it because we wouldn't have been able to pay for that car otherwise had the Lord not provided that. So. And you know what? It's a positive. Is one of the uh, number of things for which I tell the saints to be thankful that we're American because there are no stimulus packages in Africa. Just not, not going to ever be one. Right. Yeah. So what's your thoughts, man? So um, I was thinking, I called because uh, hearing you talk about the conspiracy theories and, and that sort of thing and the, the hazards of them. And mm -hmm. I can say that um, they, they can grab you, you know, they can grab you. And then we can tend to just parrot and regurgitate all these different, 
uh, rumors and conspiracy that we're that we're reading about, listening to online, and it can really take us off course. Um, mm-hmm. I was I, like, since I've been going through this COVID nineteen dilemma situation, I've kind of like faded through all the different conspiracy theories and looked into each of them. And <clears throat> it's interesting. A lot of them have truth to it, but of none course. of them have all the truth, you know? And so I kind of came to the conclusion, like, man, even if I could put all of these puzzle pieces together, what does it, what difference does it make? It doesn't change. I can't change it. The only thing I can do is just trust in Christ and walk with him. That's all I can do, you know, and, and pray. But it's, it's, it's so so much beyond us that it's it's almost it's it's at its best a distraction because we're we're too to do anything about it anyway, you know. In a sense, in a sense, uh, let me kind of just uh, play an advocate here because I just feel like, um, uh, quite frankly, if we could, the problem with the conspiracy theories uh, uh, is that they don't have enough meat on the bones for us to be able to speak authoritatively. However, we do, like you said, because we have uh, loved ones who who are asking the question, and I get it all the time just being a, a, a pastor and a Bible teacher, so what's going on? What's what's going on, PJ? What is, what's this stuff all about? Uh, uh, and I do have some convictions about our government. I, if you listen to my opening monologue, and I do this all the time in my opening monologue, I, I say uh, when you hear people tell you don't believe in, in conspiracies, uh, you know, don't listen to that because conspiracies are part of the framework of all governments. It's not possible for a government to be operating candidly and openly and freely with its citizen. It anticipates its citizenry not to agree with it. It anticipates its citizenry to oppose its policies. And so frequently our government will act in ways whereby they will either piecemeal data to us or they will flat out lie to us. Secondly, we have a history of them lying. It's not. It's not like. And I and I say this to everyone that that challenges me on this. When somebody has lied to me ten times, I'm gonna just believe that they are a liar, even if the eleventh time is the God honest truth. I'm not gonna easily take what they say. And our the history of America is that our governments lie. I mean, they just flat out lie. So. Um, on the one hand, we want to be objective and do what First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. On the other hand, we want to be, um, you know, we want to be uh, discerning and being able to maintain, maintain a priority of our, uh, our calling, our identity, our mission. That's why, you know, you won't, you won't hear me on the air, and I never have, and I've been on the air. Craig Roberts told me recently I've been on the air some, something like 15 years, didn't even know I was on that long. But he's, you know, you won't hear me doing anything but expounding scripture, preaching Christ. And then I'll set out a little bit of information around these things uh, for, for, the, for the saints, who are concerned. And when you have enough information and know how to balance out 
the data that you're getting to, to give them principles of discernment around how our government functions and how the patterns historically have, uh, have, have, have proved that we need to be vigilant even with our own government. That is healthy for a congregation. That's healthy for believers. God never tells us to stick our head in the sand and, uh, and, and just wish for today. If you're listening to the Revelation series that I'm doing, I'm actually laying principles down to deal with some of the more cogent and, uh, you know, historically um, challenging texts. One of them is Matthew 24, 15. Jesus told the church in his day before he was crucified, shortly before he was crucified. He says, when you see the abomination that maketh desolate standing where it ought not, that's Mark's translation, and in Matthew, in the holy place, flee to the mountains. That was an exercise of shepherding care on the part of Christ to his church when he knew exactly what was going to happen, which is in, it's correlative uh, right now, Sean, to, to, to what you and I are talking about. And one of the questions that came to me from a young man who's probably listening right now, of which I said in my opening monologue, there are four fundamental characteristics that dominated Israel's politics and religion and social consciousness at that time. And, and those four basic uh, 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 characteristics was pacifism, uh, religious elitism, and then you had your national zealots. And then you had the Christians who had the latest revelation from Jesus Christ on how to watch for the encroachment of the uh, approaching armies of Rome and for the growing hostility of the blind religious leaders and zealots of his own day. He, he was saying to them, when you, when you see the iniquity of men waxing coal and brother betraying brother, and all kinds of chaos taking place in your own country, among your own countrymen. And then when you see that kind of disrupted social context, uh, know that the Roman Empire is about to come in and squash it. And when you see certain elements of their presence, you get out. And the believing Christians, according to the historical records, were able to avoid being part of the massive pillage of those Jews who are blinded by their nationalism. And I believe there's an application there for us as well, Sean, if you if you can get my language. Oh, yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on all of that. I, I, I certainly uh, can see that the trajectory we're heading uh, yeah. as far as our government is concerned and as far as our rights being trampled on and taken away and it's incrementally happening right now. You know, that's the sad part. It breaks my heart because it's happening. It's just yeah. definitely happening. Oh, yeah. There. Yeah, we've been, we've been that proverbial frog boiling in the pot of water for a little while now. And, yep. and it's just a matter of time before we can't move anymore. And so right. it's, uh, it's certainly happening. I think um, uh, the, to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, I don't want to take too much time, but I think the same, uh, the same concept or Motif is is also in Isaiah chapter eight, where um, a series. Yep, because you know what, Sean, Sean, hold on. I want you to talk about it because that that text is a great example of what you're about to explain. And because we ain't got nothing else to do, we can expand on it. We're gonna take a break, pay some bills, and then I'll come back with you, Sean. And we'll get to you, AJ. We'll get to you also, Jermaine. But I do want to. Uh, 
hear Sean out on Isaiah 8, and then I want to actually insert some thoughts around it too. That's the purpose of the Word of God. Centrally, it's a revelation of the glory of God in Christ and his rule over everything, but it is prophetic. And as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. That which has been is, is simply a replication of history. The names change, but the principles are the same. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistan. Got one line open, one 367 I'll be right back. 